Hello there, thank you very much for listening another episode of Project 25. I cannot describe how excited I am about this episode because I had the honor and privilege to speak with Xochitl Gonzalez, the New York Times bestselling author of Olga Dies Dreaming. Before becoming a New York Times bestselling author, Xochitl wore many hats. She worked at a gallery, at an ad agency, she read the tarot, she was an event planner and entrepreneur, she had a very successful wedding planning business, but at one point, she decided that it was time to go after what she always wanted to do, write. Now 45, Sochil is an artist. She's a writer, screenwriter, producer, a cultural critic, an MFA graduate from the Iowa Writers Workshop, and a dog mom. In this interview, Sochil talked about her journey from 25 to 45, preconceived ideas of success, marriage, discovering the power and freedom in being her authentic self, letting go of perfectionism, and her advice for the new generation of 20-somethings. I hope that you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, because it was truly an enriching and sincere conversation. And if you like this podcast, I'm sure you will like Olga Dies Dreaming, because it addresses everything from self-discovery and love to family, politics, and Latinidad. I cannot recommend this book enough. I felt seen, I laughed, I got angry, I cried, everything <laughs> in one book. And it is now available in paperback and you can get it wherever books are sold. Project 25 was born out of the obsession that we have of figuring things out. Being a 25-year-old or a 20-something is weird because it's fun, confusing, and exciting, all at once. <laughs> it's an age where we realize that maybe the goals we had for ourselves weren't really ours to begin with, an age of tons of learning and unlearning, and an age of frequently asking ourselves, what am I doing? And that leaves us with a lot of uncertainty. I'm Andrea Juarez, and I created this project after hitting my quarter-life crisis. <laughs> I decided to look for answers and ask my family members, friends, and people I admire about their experiences being 25, what has changed, what they've learned, and their advice for the new generation of 20-somethings. There is a lot to live and learn, and I am a firm believer that listening is a powerful tool. Even if all the answers are within us, by listening to others, we can feel understood, but also reflect on ourselves, learn, and think about what we want for our present and for our future. Thank you so much for being here. I know that you could have been anywhere else, but you agreed to do this. So it's really appreciated. And yeah, like Sochil, I was very keen to interview you because I read, of course, Olga Dies Dreaming. And I truly enjoyed it. It was my favorite book from 2022. And something that really resonated with me is that not only because Olga was a Latina, but because at one point she has this realization, she's like, you know, I've been my own publicist and I've been hustling for all these years. Yeah. And what did I do this for? Like she had this realization yeah. that she yeah. wasn't where she truly wanted to be. Yeah. Like she was leaving someone else's or like the white yeah. man's idea of like yeah. fame, money, recognition. And I was going through a similar moment. So it just hit different. <laughs> yeah, I really wanted to write that experience and also like 
kind of the path that led her there and a lot of the confusion that she experienced for simple lack of no, having any modeling, some instances. And I wanted to write it because I hadn't felt that I had seen that journey in a book, you know, like of like I'd seen like younger Latinas, like sort of like coming out of college or like going back home. And like I'd, I'd read beautiful books by Latinas, but I just hadn't seen this thing where you're like on paper, it looks really good. And, and I know that that's just something that I knew a lot of women had experienced in addition to me, you know, like where it's like, what's happening? Like, and because you have to make so many choices in your twenties and thirties about the direction of your life. And you just don't necessarily have people walking the path that you're on, especially if you're either first gen or in Olga's case, like she just didn't have her parents nearby. And so she's kind of relying on the same things that her parents had relied on, which is like her abuela. So, you know, I just, I wanted to let people know that they're not alone. And it was kind of beautiful because in the book being out there, what I was surprised by was I wasn't expecting so many younger Latinas like in their 20s to like really like get attached to it. And like she ended up being like a big sister or like a tia to people in some funny way. (laughs) And like that was really beautiful for me. Yeah, I wanted to tell you that, that I'm sure that I felt very seen and I'm sure that many Mm -hmm. women like saw themselves there as well. And I also learned about all the situation and like politics around Puerto Rico. So yeah. which was also, you know, I was like in fear, like I was so furious yeah. to learn all this. But thank you again for being here. <laughs> and thank you. thank you for reading. Yeah. And I'll just go straight to the first question, if that's all right with you. Yeah. So what is your age title or how will you describe yourself? I'm 45. So 25 was 20 years ago and I'm a writer. I mean, my bio has all these different titles. I feel like it's all writing. Like I, I'm a novelist. I am a screenwriter. I am a nonfiction writer. Like I, some journalism. I write for the Atlantic. I am producing a couple of things. So, um, you know, let's see, that's a weird business, but like, I mainly am a writer of all kinds. I think I'm an artist. I think of myself as an artist if I were to be really point blank about it. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's how I would describe myself. <laughs> Thank you. And so what did you do when you were 25? So where did you spend or in what did you spend your time in? <laughs> yeah. So when I was 25, I was living in Brooklyn again. I'd finished college. I was working at this place called the Clio Awards for Advertising. And I was trying to start my wedding planning business. But actually, if I were to be honest, at that point, it wasn't meant to be a wedding planning business. It was meant to be a tech company to help people plan weddings. And I was couldn't get funding. So, but at that 25, I didn't realize I wasn't going to be able to get funding. And then like, it's sort of, I was told, well, you don't even know how to plan weddings. So why would we give you money for this? And so then we were like, well, let's do that for a little while so we could show that. And then the next thing you know, we actually were very successful at it. And then like, yes, like you sort of, I lost the plot a little bit. But at 25, I was living with one of my best friends. I just moved to Fort Greene. I was working at the Clear Awards. My friend worked with me as well. I was dating the same guy I'd been dating since my senior year of college. And I was like obsessed with us getting married just because I felt like that that was the next thing that we were supposed to do. I'm not married anymore. So that tells you we got married and then (laughs) I'm not married any longer. So I was obsessed with getting married, but also I was out every single night. I was at a club from Sunday through Thursday. And then on Friday and Saturday, I would go out with my boyfriend. (laughs) That's hilarious. 
<laughs> Literally Sunday afternoon at brunch, it would start. And then I would just be out until like the wee hour of Friday morning. And then I would be very domestic because my boyfriend lived out on Long Island with his parents. So we'd only really hang out on the weekends. That's so funny. I was living like a weird double life. Like I wasn't going out with other guys or anything, but I was totally like living a double life. Yeah, like you were a huge party girl. <laughs> yeah, I was like totally a party girl. And then like on the weekends, we do like stuff with his family and like I like make dinner. <laughs> Just like innocent face and everything. Yeah, totally. 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 <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> And so, you know, that you're saying that, you know, you had kind of like this double life. Where was your mind when you were 25? So what did you think back then? I was like, I have to be very successful. I feel like I was very stressed out about my five-year college reunion, the impending year. Like, I was like, I have to seem like I did something with myself. Like, I was in a constant state of comparing myself towards others. I was extremely ambitious at work. Like, I was making a lot of money, actually, because even though it wasn't like the kind of job where you... Paid, got paid that much. I leaned in before freaking Sheryl Sandberg ever did. I was very good at my job. And so then I would come dressed in whatever I was going to wear to the nightclub that night. And then my boss would be like, what is this? And I would be like, well, if you want me to wear, have two different wardrobes, you have to pay me more. And that's how I got. Good for you. <laughs> yeah. Like, so like I, I was leaning in before fucking Sheryl Sandberg ever said anything. Like I was just like, this just doesn't feel like enough money. Like I would just always be like, this just doesn't feel like enough money. But I was having like a really, you know, I was having fun. I had a terrible eating disorder. I developed a terrible eating disorder my freshman year of college and it didn't really go away until <laughs> frankly, until my grandfather died when I was like 30. And then I just was so depressed. I like couldn't bother having an eating disorder. Like, like I was like, I just don't have the energy for this. I mean, I doubt it was normal eating after that, but it was like truly like I was obsessive about what I was eating. So in a lot of ways, I was, I had a lot of fun, but I was also super miserable. You know what I mean? Like, and I definitely don't think I was, I wasn't that authentic, like in the sense that I was really worried about perceptions is probably a good way. And I was worried that I was fucking something up. And I remember I, I was also like, I was taking It's interesting that I'm doing screenwriting now because I would take a night class like every semester, like at the graduate school, like CUNY, because like I didn't want to go back to school, but I also didn't know how to prove I was doing okay. Like I was so used to getting grades and kind of grades being like, oh, you're doing good. And so like it was sort of like then that turned into like raises, like raises became my way of showing okay. that I was doing good. But like, but I was always like in some kind of a class because I only knew how to be good in that way, not be good in that way, but like I only knew how to measure my own state of success in life through grades. So I felt like panicked when I wasn't getting feedback. <laughs> yeah, like you wanted that positive reinforcement. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so I think I, I was flailing a lot, you know, and I, I remember it was like a weird time of isolation because I think my family also didn't really know what I should be doing after school. And like, and it was like the job just didn't sound that successful to them. Like, and they were like, like, they were kind of like, but what is this? I would talk about what I was doing and I was traveling a lot for work at the time. And like, they just like, I don't understand what any of this is. And so it was sort of a strange, I was kind of a hot mess at 25. Like it was probably like the peak of mess, you know, like I was making good money. I had my own place. Like I was paying all my own bills. I was paying down my loans. Like I was doing all the things you're supposed to do. I just, I really had no core. I was really, I was flailing a little bit. Yeah. 
I know that, for example, you just mentioned that you were, you know, like this hot mess. And I guess, yeah, like we followed all these steps, right? Like get a like get a high paying job, live by yourself, yeah. be this independent person, right? So I wanted to ask you now, I know that you are a wedding planner and I learned on other interviews about your journey into like getting into Iowa and getting your MFA yeah. and your best-selling book, you write for the Atlantic. So from when you were 25 to this day, from being that hot mess, with you doing so many things and learning so much, what has changed in the world, in yourself, in your environment and in the way yeah. you see things? Well, my divorce was really good for me because my divorce happened right as the recession was happening. And so I, by that point, I had the wedding planning business. And then, so that was like five years later, let's say, right? Like I sort of lived less messy, but still kind of miserable. Like getting married only made me more miserable. I it was like, oh my God. And we never lived together. We moved in once we got married because I was like a good Catholic girl and we weren't going to do that. Like we had like a big Catholic wedding and like, and so I can, so, and my grandmother had said to me, she's like, he's going to go from living in his mother's house to living in your house. And like my grandmother, like she was great, but she was like the next level of tell it like it is. And she would say these things and like for years it would haunt you. Like every time like I'd be like making his breakfast and ironing his shirt. I'd be like, he went from his mother's house to your house. You know, like, like, I, so, I really felt if you're not madly in love, marriage can feel like indentured servitude. You're like hanging out with you're obligated to like an entire family that you didn't pick. Like, you know, like you're like, like you like are supporting this person. Like when they're out of work, you're picking up the bit. Like, you know, it really can feel when you're not madly in love, it's a lot. So my grandfather was super sick. My husband wasn't particularly supportive. He did something super shady with forging my signature on something. And it was like really crazy about a loan to get him a, a bigger loan so that he could go on uh, some trips with his business school colleagues. And then it was just sort of the last straw. And I asked for this divorce. Well, I had an affair and then I asked for this divorce. Like I was having an affair and then I was like, I have to get out of this marriage. And the, the affair was pretty brief. It was really like the cry for help. But it was so scandalous. It felt like I was only... 27 when we got married. So I was 30 when we got divorced. And it was like, I think it was the first time I'd ever publicly failed at something. Cause like nobody would have seen me and knew I was a mess. Like I just, it was just chaotic, like chaotic. It was, I was an emotional mess. So I think it was the first time where it was like, and you know, and we had gone to college together. So we had a lot of friends. So it was totally the subject of gossip. And like we had large extended families. It was the subject of gossip around failure. And yeah. In some funny way, that was like a giant relief. And then my grandfather died. And then like, I really just went into like a two year, very destructive spiral. And I was drinking a lot. I like was almost sexually assaulted in a cab. I mean, it was like just so many really bad, bad things happened. I was working constantly because it was now the throes of the recession. We were trying to survive in our business. And it was just super dark, really dark. It was a really dark times. And then I read a book called The Seed of the Soul by Gary Zukav. And it's sort of about soul connections and like, what are we really in our physical body versus what are we really in our spiritual body? And it made me, I started therapy when I got divorced. So I started therapy at 30. And at 32, I found this book. And then I started meditating. And it made me realize that a lot of stuff, you know, people have read Olga, we're not the same person. I always say Olga was me with no therapy, but like a lot of the response and behavioral response was 
due to my, you know, kind of not knowing my parents and like that never quite being resolved or talked about. And so like, I think that I started to make some sense of a bunch of things, like a lot of sense of a bunch of things and kind of heal a bunch of things. And then I just sort of slowly started to realize like, oh, I don't know that I really like my job. I think I'm good at it, but I think I felt intellectually frustrated. But like when people would be like dismissive or talk to you rudely or whatever, you were kind of like, I actually think I might be smarter than you. Like, like what the fuck? <laughs> like, it just like, really like started to like feel a different level. I always, I'm struggled talking about this because I have a lot of colleagues that are still in weddings and events and they... I don't want to imply that people that do that job don't have high self-esteem because that's not my implication. But like, I think I just started to realize like maybe I picked a path that wasn't as expansive as it could be for me and my gifts because I felt unconvinced of those gifts. And I started to feel more confidence. And I I started to know a lot of people, you know, like you like meet people and every year, like I was in a very social business. I'd been out all those nights at the club. I made a lot of friends. Like I did, I really did. Like I, I really did. Like, so I just knew lots and lots of people and, and you start to see people making changes or people doing things. And suddenly, you know, like at 25, like I'd always wanted to kind of write, you know, but I just, I didn't even know how to get from point A to point B. Like, and suddenly you know, you're sort of like, oh, I saw so-and-so just made this giant career switch. Like maybe I could do this thing or that thing. And then it was kind of a weird full circle because then 10 years later from when my grandfather died, my grandmother died. And that was my last living grandparent. And, you know, she was a bitch, but like, she's a very happy ghost, like a very happy ghost. And by that point, I would say I had fully abandoned Catholicism. And I kind of, I talked to God on a constant basis. So it's not like I feel a spiritual, but like, I don't, I don't really go to, I see a synthetic sometimes. I'm, I'm not allergic to faith. I'm a little bit allergic to anything organized. <laughs> yeah, religion, right? Yeah. Religion. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like I, not the beliefs, but just sometimes the, the practices like, yeah, and like I have institution. Yeah, and it might change. You know what I mean? Like that can evolve in times. Cause in some other way, in its best form, it's community. And so I'm a giant believer in community. So I think that like, I just started to be it's very trite, but like, I think I had to, I had so many wounds that were sort of unhealed and like family shit that I like, I was trying to fix with success when I was 25. And what happened in the 10 years from 25, let's say to 35 was like, I started to just be much more authentically me, you know what I mean? Like, and in the sense that it's like, sometimes you're going to make mistakes some things aren't going to work out. I don't always love this job. Like I kind of would like, I'm going to take a writing class. Like, and then once my grandmother passed away, it was like, I just found that last push of courage. Yeah. So, but it really did take 15 years from 25 to 40 to like get to that place. Like I, and a lot of work and experiences and like, yeah. So I wanted to ask, you know, I read your article on the case for social climbing how us as younger people, we have it harder right now with the rising inequalities and the yes. amount of time that we spend online and why it's important for us to like authentically like connect with people. Yes. So that brings me to my question. So what advice do you have for today's 20 somethings or what do you wish you knew when you were 25? 
Well, I'm going to give advice to today's 20-somethings because we weren't superior. We just didn't have the other option of just texting. When I was 25, we had QWERTY. We just got SMS and like QWERTY keypads. Like, you know, like you're like, are you like, it took like six, like it's like you, you didn't, it wasn't a fun way to communicate or easy. And so like, we didn't have that. We didn't have Facebook. Like we didn't have anything. Like I think I was 25 and what, 2000 and 2003. So like, we just didn't have uh, any of this stuff. And so because of that, we had to push past laziness and like comfort. And it's not that I always wanted to be like, oh, let me, I really feel like talking on the phone with blah, blah, blah. It was more like, oh my God, I promised I was going to go to this thing. Let me figure out this, like, like, let me figure this out. <laughs> like, and get it's easier to do it over the phone. And then you get on the phone and suddenly somebody makes a joke and it's hilarious. And you're like, oh, I have to tell you this thing, by the way, like this happened. Or you'd go out and because you couldn't text, you'd be hung over the next day. And then you'd want to gossip and like get on the phone about what happened the night before. And these things force intimacy and forge intimacy in a way that texting facsimiles or like social media things facsimile. And I think sometimes it's like, ah, oh, like we're nervous or embarrassed, especially at 25, anxious that their person's not going to want to hear from you or you're bothering somebody or like, you don't have the same level of self-confidence, but like, we just didn't have a choice. And then you all, you couldn't flake as easily because it wasn't as easy to get in touch with somebody and tell them you were going to not show up. So you tended to stick with your plans, like even if you didn't feel like it. And circumstance forced us out of our comfort zones and therefore our bonds with our coworkers, with our friends, our roommates, like the people that we met just tended to be, even if they weren't, didn't become our best friends, like you forced yourself into more intimacy so that three or four years later, if you like, were like, oh, you know what? My old roommate from that apartment in Sunset Park, he works at blah, blah, blah. Let me ping her now and see how she's doing. It didn't feel like a weird ass. Like it's like, it's a person you had a real relationship with. So my advice for people at 25 is to get the fuck offline and start actually phone calling people. And in lieu of that, like, you know, even in lieu of a DM, because like DM is like the dumbest fucking thing. I don't know why young people hate email. Like it's like, I will get like the world's longest DM from somebody that might be a beautiful message, but I'm in the middle of something and there's no way for me to flag it, to get back to it. When I see an email and it's from a person I don't talk to a lot, I'm like, I'm not even going to look at that right now because I'm busy. I'll read it tonight. And then you can manage the way you communicate. But like even email is better than like some of the ways that we use to talk to each other. It's not a one-sided thing. Like you're reaching out to the person in the hopes of having a conversation. So like pick a method that makes that mutually convenient. <laughs> like, so my real advice is, and it's not just with people like slightly older than you or this or that, like it's like, if you think somebody seems amusing in a meeting or somebody seems sweet, that's a friend of a friend, just like exchange numbers. And like, even if you say like, oh, we should go for brunch, like actually follow up and do it. Like instead of just befriending each other on Instagram and then like leaving comments. And I hate that. I hate that. It's like, <laughs> like I like following up too, because then like, yes. But then what do you want? <laughs> that's right. And so that is like probably my number one piece of advice. Thank you very much. If you could go back to when you were 25, would you change anything or make things different? I don't know how you can learn things that you can't know. And I think you have to experience pain in order to grow. Like growth is painful. So would I make anything different? I think I just would have been less 
obsessed with getting married. Like, I think I wouldn't have seen that as like up there with like getting a promotion or a master's degree. Like, you know, like it's like it sort of was like on a, a buffet of things to check off a box. Definitely would have basically like not done that right then. <laughs> like, I would not only not done that, I think I wouldn't have let myself feel pressured by it, but it felt like it was something you had to do by the time you were. Yeah, especially as Latinos, I think that moms were I like, think that that's family's right. always I like, so right. when are you guys getting married yeah. or when are you going to have a kid? And I'll be brief. So thank you very much, Sochil. This has been wonderful. And just a question, when can we expect the second book and Olga Dies Dreaming on Hulu? I'm excited about that. Well, I don't know about Olga Dies Dreaming on Hulu. I'm not, it's not looking great. So let's all light our villas. Like we shot the pilot. It was amazing. It was amazing. It's amazing. I mean, it exists. Like there's a one hour, the first part of the book. It's beautiful. But, you know, it's challenging telling Latino stories and getting them on the air. I'm hoping that we can revisit it as a limited series, if not on Hulu somewhere else. But I, I wouldn't be, wouldn't like wait for dinner to see that. Like I, <laughs> I keep eating. I'm moving with our lives and just know I'm working my hardest to make it happen. Like, you know, we believe in it. And the cast is amazing and the product is beautiful, but it's, you know, it's definitely beautiful, glamorous prestige TV with an all Latino cast. So, you know, that hopefully we can find somebody that believes in it and, and wants to see it forward. My next book is coming out. That might come out most likely sooner than Olga Dies Dreaming on Hulu. <laughs> it, that'll publish in February of 24. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. And it's two other very strong Latina characters. One part is a campus novel with a Latina at an Ivy League college in the 90s. And the other part, but they they find their way together, is a fictional retelling of the life and afterlife of Ana Mendieta, the Cubana-American sculptor who died mysteriously in the company of her husband by when she fell out of a window in 1985. So I'm really excited. It's a beautiful book. I think it's going to spark lots of conversations about sisterhood and Latinidad and like just to get community. And so I'm, I'm really excited. I'm excited too. <laughs> Thank yeah. you very much. So this has been wonderful. Thank you so, so much. It was lovely to meet you as well. Thank you very much for listening. If you liked the episode or you think it'd be helpful for someone you know, I encourage you to share it. This way, you're also supporting the growth of this podcast. If you're someone or know someone who would like to share their experience as being 25, you can reach me at andrea.project25 at gmail.com. You can also follow Project25 on Instagram as project.xxv. So that's 25, just in Roman numbers. <laughs> Thank you again for being here. I hope that you have an amazing rest of your day. Bye-bye.